Greetings everyone, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I am fired up once again and this time, this one's an exciting story. It's, it's very telling as to, and I was going and reading through my book and I enjoy this. Now, this isn't an ego, this isn't based off of anything, this is just simply getting up in the morning or the afternoon or wherever you are in the world and reading something of substance. And I know the reasons why I wrote these things. To be fair, the first book was the first time in my life that I felt that I needed to accomplish a goal. And I know for a fact that I did. Publishing it myself, partnering with Amazon.com, and doing what I needed to do when I set out to do it. And the story, the story is what mattered to me the most. The characters are what matter to me the most. And I saw so much. Many authors have many different ways of expressing themselves or going about writing. Some have their own process. Some even have routines. But for me, I wanted to give pieces of what I saw and twist it into a story that I wanted to come back to and enjoy reading again. And I enjoy reading it again. That's how I knew I did something good. So you have all these different characters. You have a person that awoke up in a tree amongst his other village mates. And they are piecing together what it is that happened to them in a peaceful manner. But definitely an argument or definitely a debate. You have others who wake up on the ground and who instantly become refugees because there's raping, pillaging, people taking advantage of everything, burning villages, everything that you can think of that is wrong with society in general, you could probably factor it in on it already happened. But you have Onyx, who is a proverbial quintessential celestial firefighter going into these things while people are going in the opposite direction. You have an artist that wakes up and he's looking around in amazement and he wants nothing of it. He goes back into his cabin and prays to a time god <laughs> and asks, what is, where do I start? And the time god mysteriously answers that he doesn't even know who he is and so they will both figure out how to do art once again you have another character of a writer who is just sitting there with refugees and he remembers so much but he will say nothing because he knows that saying something will instantly garner him as a martyr and they would hang him from the rafters and instantly kill him because of his knowledge. And he realizes that he was in love with this woman named Alea. And I wrote this back in 2014, I kid you not, because of her innocence. But it's not just innocence, it's just something that as a poet, as a writer, he wanted to comment on how the differentiation of each and every one of them is. As all writers do, we describe things in detail, not to be as in a journal, but 
to describe something without it having a fluffy exterior. Now, my, my teacher back in the day is an interesting thing of me using fluffy because fluffy is just words or adjectives or uh, pronouns or, or something to take up space while it meanders around the true meaning of what an artist or author truly meant. And I don't do that. That's what you do in a, a report that you don't want to explain about. But he generally has this notion of falling for this woman and he does not know why. Amongst all this chaos and amongst all these other different things, and he looks around and, and sees her in this tattered, abused, war-torn woman. And there's a sense of not responsibility or feeling like he should take care of her, but is a sense of innocence that he cannot quite put his finger on. And he instantly names her without even knowing her name. And she writes her name in the sand. It's a magical and mercurial thing that I say these stories came from. And then I even describe another character, which is the complete opposite of Onyx, which is Oleander. Now, people who play video games are already familiar with these types of characters that are bent or hellbent on destruction. There is nothing that can convince them otherwise. And it is just chaos that they are derived from or a piece of it. But there is some sense of plight to Onyx. There is some sense of plight to Oleander. Oleander is a sense of if Onyx is to save and then Oleander is to destroy. But it is not that simple. He has a sense of testing his own abilities. And if you've seen, what would you call this? Highlander or something where a character in a comic book has this insane ability but they are unsure as to how to test this ability or looking for death. And Oleander, and I allude to it in many ways, is looking simply for his rest and his own death because of many things that have occurred, but I don't allude to it and I, I probably will never will, in a mysterious fashion to say that these gifts were given to him and he utilizes them in his own fashion as almost if a death god would, ending people's suffering, but in his own way. And he just goes out and tests these things, and he ends bandits' lives, he ends innocent people's lives, and he does so as if he was a force of nature itself, just by sheer jumping and slashing and going about with a sword. He walks around with silver hair, and that drops down to his knees. And people think of him as savior, but others think of him as just this fearful, this, this thing, this monster. And he adheres to this fear because I'm talking like eight foot giant warriors, ironclad with muscles that cannot fell him. And he enjoys this battle. He enjoys the notion of fights. It, it satiates his boredom. And when I say this, this is not just simply looking for death in a suicidal fashion. 
suicide is different. Suicide has many different other facets to it that I'll go into later on. But this one, he is looking simply for the thrill, simply for something to take him and surprise him. There's nothing that has surprised him thusly yet. And until these meteorites come flying down from space and then magically turn into these meteorite monsters that propel these never-ending flames. And so I describe it in the last piece, and I'm glad that I'm describing this again so that people get a clear understanding what it was that I was piecing in these, these, this writing. And these never-ending flames never grow out. And magically, they just continue to burn. And it's not because someone didn't put water on them. It is just simply that that is a sense of what nature is from space, these meteorites. So once something is on fire from them, it never goes out. That it goes for people, that goes for organic matter, that even goes for metal and many other different things. And I pepper in certain magical elements throughout the story quite gingerly so that people understand that this is celestial and that this is not Earth. And this is not something that is an analogy too that one could make a reference. This is celestial. Celestial is the size of the sun. It is enormous in the amount of parameters that one has. And so you have that character there. You have many, many different things, even the band of the crow, where crow is, and she could be a juxtaposition of Oleander, but she has men with her. And she's a leader, a leader of an entire, I don't even know how many bands of bandits. That's why I call her the band of the crow. And it's over like 15,000 men of just them and she has felt each and every one of them imagine a whole bunch of football teams and them with their male angst and and bravado and and challenges as all men do challenge one another and she has failed and, and accepted each and every one of their challenges she is a battle genius tactical genius and she looks at all of this confusion and has a heart, but her heart is hardened each and every time she sees a face. So the exterior of what she is becomes that much more hidden because she cannot be soft. She cannot be a woman. She cannot have the sense of empathy for every person. She simply saves who she does because they have some substance. They can help. They have some trinkets. They have some treasure. They have two hands, they have two two legs that can walk and that can help her ultimate goal, which is, I never allude to, but you will see later on in the fourth and fifth book, there's so many different things going on that I haven't described. And this particular one is the introduction of another character. And I mention all these characters because I want to describe pieces of myself. Now, I am a multifaceted person, I am an artist, I am a writer, an author, but these are not things that have happened to me per se. These are just things that I observe and have twisted the story into something in a new light. 
And when I say like I am the childlike version of myself that survived, I pridefully say this, that it's not something to think of me as, oh, well, he just likes nerd things or he likes playing with toys or he likes watching cartoons and things like this in a way, but there's a childlike element that should be held on to for me, not for anybody else. I don't know anybody else. They're, they have their own lives. They have their own thinking, but when I dip into this well of creativity, I know that I can scoop out something that I've been tinkering away with for years and can meticulously change it into something else. And what I mean by that is if I'm looking at a movie, if I'm looking at a story, or if I am reading or experiencing a conversation with someone, I know that I could take that as wherever, however I want to, and not, what would you call this, taint it or, or corrupt the story by literally stating the exact same thing that what that person described to me or what I saw, I can take all of those elements as inspiration and do something with that said story. And so you can never even know that it was based off of that or it was inspired from that. That's what I mean by the childlike element. And that way you will never have a bored day. You will never be uninspired because everything is inspiration to you. I don't even think people realize how much being or the joys of being a child or in adolescence and how to utilize those gifts that you have because you have a friend or you have a sister or brother that can play with you. You don't understand how important it is to, to have those moments without the seriousness because you, you, you practice your imagination. You utilize that as a muscle. And as you get older, you realize that there's reality and that there's other things happening. And so you get accustomed to it and you leave those tools that you had when you were younger on the shelves. But there are others that have utilized those things and have fashioned them and culminated into their adult life. And so then they never have a, a work day ever because everything is play. And that's where you find me. This story deals with a young one, right? And so this is one of those instances where I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to create a child's book story because I knew that I would be getting older and I knew that I would be thinking differently. And I knew that my childlike self will look differently at other childlike selves that have a whole entire different experience. But I had to make this of note of how I my childlike self survived and how I love that. And so I literally awoke this character in a gruesome fashion. Literally, he woke up in a pile of bodies, okay? And so I'll describe in the story how it, it correlates, but he awakes in the most grotesque, the most horrific thing one could even experience that adults don't even experience and probably would not walk away from without some sense of post-traumatic stress. But in this sense, he does and is okay with it. 
And so this one is called The Red Cloud of Never Doubting. And it starts, it says, The impossible is very much so when you believe. The elders Fimula clamored. The footsteps to heaven were paved with sequential sevens. The forest in which cradled them nestling, even the craven, the third stun shone from the horizon. Luckily for the travelers, the Everwood stood tall. Lucky to those that could stomach the travel, they were intrepid. Luck evident in the wayward Manfred who had joined the trip. Luck being that the meteorite violence fell on the other side of the immense spring. Was this the meaning of life in this new world? Was the name of the reality really called celestial? Were there really entire people who forgot life before that day? Everything of the past, the only thing that remained were remnants. The young Manfred that walked amongst the Fimula saw nothing wrong with the way things were. Everything perfect in spaces, grooves, touching upon all that spurred. Curiosity unbound, the Vierva forest. Replesden, the roots opened up to them, unfurling their beauty before the long-drawn flight of the phoenixes. This was their nesting grounds, unbeknownst to the new would-be residents. The youngling, but two knees high, never strayed far. Everything was his new trinket. And so, basically, these women, and I allude to them, and as the older Fimula, so they're, they're, I wanted them to be like almost martyrs, but similar to nuns, but they weren't nuns, okay? So they just dressed alike, so that if they were ran upon or they were attacked by bandits, they could easily blend in and one could easily throw a hood over their, their head and then run into the forest and then another one could run this way as a sense of confusion and to disperse one another. It's a different thing of tactics that I don't comment on in this story, but it's a very serious thing where even in another part of the world, they experience these things on a different and, and a heightened level of animalistic instinct where you have people with guns, you have bandits, you have pirates who where there's lawlessness. There is no sense of, well, that shouldn't be or that should be. It's literally real from sunup to sundown for years. And for us living in this society, we don't experience it. We only come in contact with it on YouTube or we come in contact with it on television or in movies or in media. But this sense I wanted to portray in a most poetic fashion of what these women had experienced. And this raping and pillaging and things that I talk about is a human nature quality that I don't even understand. Because if someone forgets their memories, I know for a fact, at the end of the day, there would be someone who wants to take advantage. People take advantage regardless of if you know what you're talking about or not. So if you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know your memories, he doesn't know his memories, there's going to be an insane amount of raping, pillaging, taking advantage bandits, stealing, thievery, whatever you want to call it. And, and that is what we generally, and I don't even know why we accept it as human nature. It's, it's a very really and damning quality. So with that being said, I, I observe this and comment on this and I wanted to make this of note of my writing process of where I came from in this first book. 
And so I wrote this book and this part of the story because I wanted to segue it into the second and third and fourth and fifth book. I wanted it to make it something magical from something that was completely horrible. And I wanted it to have it as almost not a childlike book story, but something that someone could smile about. And and basically, even with him waking in this horrible fashion, I say he was happy, an adventure unlike any he had ever witnessed. Honestly, he could not understand what was all the fuss. Memories were important, that much he knew. But that was on the inside, all was as it should be. At least in his eyes, the trees lifted spirits on high, marrying the heavens and celestial for a continual dance that spans throughout the countryside. Hills lay flat to them, the sun bows before the land. The youngest man for it travels down a path for he spies glossy gypsy wings. What fanciful things, he discovers on imagination flings. I wonder, he sings to himself, the others. Leaving them behind without moment's notice, voices can be heard giggling in the nearby brush. And so I, I give an alludement to fairies or other beings that exist in the forest that this person discovers, this young Manfrey. And this is many, many different creatures that exist in the forest. There are tree spirits. There are many other different things. But he, he goes off on himself, unafraid just going and to discover these things. And I say, a relic, he quaffed the new landscape, a waterfall in the distance, shrubs hid mythical creatures that dance he had never seen before. You are blessed, he understood for in words upon next step. Spell our names with justice, we will lend you our magic. Just make sure you whisper to us, quiet is as quiet kept. The young lad smiled, dipping his small hands within the heart of the forest. He smiled, a young king. And so, with this, in the next installment, I have these women like flip out. Like they found him, the story goes as they found him in a pile of bodies. Now, this is higher than anything you have ever seen. This is more grotesque than anything you have ever seen. And I pepper grotesque scenes throughout the story to just juxtapose all of these magical elements in Celestial because it is so large. Not to mention what only Ender has done and all the people that he has killed and all the bandits and all these other different beings. But this was in a valley. And so these women were traveling and they were traveling in the forest to hide away from the bandits. And so the, the pile of bodies is well, well over nine feet tall. And so these are people who have ended their lives or who have ultimately, it's just a, a ground of a graveyard, but nobody has buried these beings. And then they look and then they find that this young boy was hiding underneath all of these bodies, all of the blood, all of the nakedness and nudeness and lewdness. And they are appalled and surprised and ultimately screaming like, wow, this is a young man. And then they go and grab him from this. And then they wipe him down. And he's looking at them like, well, I was just hiding. I was, that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? To survive? And so then they grab him and they put him in clothes and they wipe him down and clean him and speak to him so that they understand the same language. 
the elder and this elder woman is the one that heads this said group because she is wise. And so they go back into the forest. And so ultimately they are traveling. They don't know where they're going, but they know that it's better than where they are at. In most instances in my story, in the second book and the third book, there are four journeys where there are people who are just leaving some place because they know it is better than where they were at. And I find that as an analogy to life in itself and me and where I am in my life. And I wanted to put that in the story that even if you don't know where you're going to keep going because it's better than where you're at. And there's no point of wallowing in something. And, and literally, that's uh, an analogy of these women picking this young man up out of this pile of dead bodies. And so they travel in the forest, and the young boy is enamored with this new scene. He is in love with the forest. He is in love with the, the ambiance and the, the presence, the miasma that it has. The, the trees are there. They sing he doesn't even know how that is even possible or that the women don't acknowledge this or even see these spirits that are there. And so he's like, well, I appreciate you guys for getting me out of those pile of bodies. I was just hiding there. And so then he goes off on himself and they're flipping out. They are, they saved this young man and now they lost him once again. Like that, that's the woman and the leader eventually tells them that he has wisdom beyond his years and that they should not be as upset as they are and they should not fear for his life because he is guided by something that is far more powerful than him and that they should just go along and accept that they were a part of his life for this that moment but there's so much more to add to it and so then later on I talk about it and I'll talk about it again, where he runs into these these spirits or these sprites or these fae or fairies that exist in the forest. And they are amazed that he can see them. They are ultimately upset, but then too, quite curious as to who this being is. And he just basically says that he doesn't know what they see or what they are witnessing, but he knows what his eyes tell him. And that is all that really truly matters. And they are aghast. And I'm just telling a little bit of the story of the Green King and the Little Litigator because it talks about how he comments on this wisdom. And he only says what's on his mind in the most, as matter of fact, fashion. And, and I always utilize this as this childlike innocence because children will always tell you what they're feeling the sense of lying or perpetuating something or being grander than who we are is an adult quality that is learned to project something but for him he says that I don't know what you're saying I know what I see and, and I see you and that is all that truly matters is it not and so then the Green King appears and is this seven foot being with antlers and a large mossy like beard with these red eyes. And he comes and everyone bows but this young man. And so then he is once again mysteriously 
curious as to how this being can see all of them because utilize usually no one can see them he utilizes this as an opportunity to to figure out what's going on in the world because no one has commented on the raping pillaging and all of this chaos that has engulfed celestial proverbial of the forest is still there and it still exists parts of it are are on fire but that's just a part of nature in itself and it will be replaced nature will always be there and, and I wanted to comment on that as how I juxtapose this part of the story in it. And so that's the origins of where the Green King or the two Green Kings and the little later litigator comes from. Because later on, the Green King is amazed that this young one can speak this way. And so he takes him to a council. And so if you could believe a, a council of other beings inside of the earth or inside of celestial so they go inside of this tree and go underneath through this meandering path where the roots are moving and they come out on the other side with a different sky and you see this council almost like lord of the rings type fashion where these beings are talking about how they should handle what's going on on the surface how they should go about anything should they help? Should they just leave man and the Manfreys and Femulas to their chaos to destroy themselves while the forest is there just simply to witness it? What should they do? And they have this young man there. And this is where this young man comes from. And literally a pile of dead bodies. And, and I just wanted to make that of note. And I'm, I'm fired up this morning. I've been that way for some days now because... I'm very excited about my story. I'm thankful, thankful, thankful for the listeners. It may be however many listeners now, but it, it may be more later on to a hundred to a thousand. And I'm just thankful to have the opportunity to share this because I know as a black man, as a young black man, as a writer, and the things that I've witnessed and have seen that it is of substance, regardless of any monetary gain, anything. We need more stories. We need more people to help one another to dream again. And so hit the subscribe button. Thank you so, so much. It's only $7. If not, I can make a price differentiation. And I have other things for people who subscribe. My name is Vernon, aka V. And thank you so much.